All right. So this week, we're going to talk about how to change the world. Now, y'all already know, if apostles see these pictures and this thing is untied like this, I was like, so bless God. Amen. He going to watch the video. He not going to listen to the message. He's just going to look at the little hangy thing the whole time. And he going to be like, why? Why? Amen. It's all right. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Somebody with a little girl? (laughs) All right. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 18. Thank you, CJ. All right. You're going to save me and you a lecture. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. John 15 and 18. Every time it reads you, I want you to read that with me, okay? All right. So if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told And if they obeyed my teaching, hold on, I skipped. A servant is not greater than his master. We can't leave that out. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill that is written in their law. They hated me without reason. I want to preach a message entitled, It Is You. We're going to walk through today nine ways that the Bible instructs us to change the world. When we read the Bible, interesting thing about the Bible is it will change the way that you see the world. Many a times as Christians or as believers, thanks guys, y'all already know, I forget to dismiss y'all, y'all got it. When we look at the Bible, oftentimes um, we forget the transformational power of its words because it's a book and we read books and we think we know books, but the Bible is not just a book, it is literally plans, blueprints for our life and how we turn are to operate in the world. When we think about Christianity, a lot of times people see Christianity as a way to escape the world. And so Christianity is like their great white hope. And they're like, whew, I don't have to be in this world. I don't have to be of this world. I just escape into Christendom, okay? Into my Christian realm and my Christian land and my Christian friends and my Christian ways, right? And now you've got an escape. But if you read the Bible, 
it actually flips it and it makes it where the world is actually the reason why we have been redeemed. And so you can't be redeemed for the world and just leave the world behind. Yes, there are worldly things that you are to leave behind, but you were born for this world. And so you can't abandon everything about it once you walk into Christianity. When we read John 15 and 18, it talks about the world hating you. But there's a reason why the world hates you or why the world would hate you in this way. Let's take a look at another scripture. We're going to go to, and I didn't put the book there. All right. Let's see. We'll find out. It says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. And this is actually Paul's prayer over Israel. And as Paul begins to pray over Israel, what he's sharing is the anguish that he has in his heart for people. The first way for you to change the world is to actually allow your heart to be broken for people. He goes on and on and on because, not because of his own challenges, Not because of his own problems, but because of the problems of his people. When is the last time that you literally have cried over somebody else? Not because of what they did to you. Not because of their interactions with you, but cried because of what they were going through. You cannot change a world that you are not moved with compassion for. It says even Jesus himself was moved with compassion. He didn't feel it. We're not talking about feeling sorry for people. There's a big difference in going around and feeling sorry for people. But when our heart is actually broken, we begin to cry out. That's true intercession. Intercession is when you grab a hold of the heart of others and then you pray that through. You don't pray your will through. You don't pray your wants through. You don't pray what you've observed through. But you pray through a broken heart. The first way that we've been instructed to change the world is to allow allow our hearts to be broken. How broken is your heart for people? Many people walk through life and we say things like, we don't have time for their problems. How do you not have time for the problems of the people that you've been called to? How do you not have time to pray through on the problems of the people that you have been called to? In research, there's this concept of bias. And um, there's two sides of it. One is called the halo bias, and one is called the horns bias. And so the halo bias, as implicated, is this idea that people um, are good people and they just, you know, can't go wrong. So you're looking at things through the lens of positivity. Everything's just great. How does this apply to your heart being broken? We see people who live good lives who are still outside of the will of God, and we think they're okay. 
And so our heart doesn't break for the owners of our companies. Our heart doesn't break for people who live in large homes. Our heart doesn't break for people who are, you know, seemingly living their best life. Because we are biased to what we think or to what we see or sometimes biased to what we actually desire. And so because they're living a life that we want to live outside of Christ with all the material things, then we think our heart doesn't need to be broken for them. The flip side of that is the horns bias. And this is a bias where you see everything through negativity. So you, you look at the research and everything is negative. Okay. And we have this for some people. And so our heart doesn't break for them. This is a person who drives by a homeless person and says, well, could be me too. Make better decisions. I was dealt a bad car too. You look at the people who come from your same neighborhood. You look at the people who come from your family. You look at the people who maybe had a similar circumstance to you and you see it with a horns bias or a negative bias. And so you don't even allow your heart to be broken for that person. Because you have now negatively judged them and so your heart can't even break. Our prayer has to be, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, increase my ability to feel the people who are around me. The distress that we should have for perishing unbelievers should be so overwhelming that it pushes us to change the world. The second way that the Bible instructs us to change the world is that you must master how to live in several worlds at the same time. How do you live in several worlds at the same time? Mark 16 and 15 says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You cannot change yourself if you have not been changed. You yourself have not been changed if you don't have language for the change. Because your language for the change... It dictates how you will perpetuate that change to others. If you have been called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, then changing the world starts with you. When students are in kindergarten, one of the hardest concepts to teach them is uh, in social studies. And it's this concept of me, my city, my state, my nation, and the world. Because to kinders, everything is everything. So they're just like, and I live in the state of San Bernardino. But to get them to realize that they're here and that they have an immediate neighborhood and that their immediate city includes their neighborhood and that they can be in the same place at the same time. Like, yes, you are in California. I thought we were in San Bernardino. You are in San Bernardino. And you are in California. I thought we were in the United States. You're there too, baby. (laughs) You're all those places at the same time. But a lot of times, that very, very basic concept is also really difficult for us to get. Like, yes, you are a son and daughter. 
Yes, you are also a king. Yes, you are also a royal priesthood. Yes, you have been chosen. Yes, you are broken. And yes, you need grace and glory. But yes, you still have a message to others. And yes, you're still walking through your process. But yes, you can also still be pulling people out. So you have to realize that you have to live in several worlds at the same time. And just because you're in one world, it doesn't disqualify you from living in the other world at the same time. So yes, you are, have been called to be a deliverer, and that doesn't take away from the fact that you've been delivered, and it also doesn't take away from the fact that you need to be delivered. But many people disqualify themselves from certain worlds that they're called to because of the immediate world that they see. And so when you look in your neighborhood, you become so distracted that you wouldn't dare think out to your city. So we have to master this concept of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to all of creation. There are certain cross-sections that occur in culture. You are, if you're a man, raise your hand. All right. Excuse me. Raise your hand if you're a woman. Okay. All right. Raise your hand if you're a dad. Raise your hand if you're a mom. Not all the same hands. Some same hands. If you master all of your cross sections, you will have a realm and a way into several worlds at the same time. You don't have to limit yourself to the one that you identify with the most. For some of us, it's our race. We identify with our race the most. And so because we overly identify with the color of our skin or our lineage, our heritage, it pulls us out of being able to impact another world. One of my students, they stayed after school, and he's a, um, a, a, a white man, and he's maybe middle age, and he stayed all the way at the end of class because he wanted to ask me a question. I mean, like, everybody was gone, gone. It's like 9.55, and I'm like, well... You still back there? I said, hey, did you, you good? You got a, got a question? Okay, come on up, approach the table. So his question was, what do, he asked me, what do you think about my ability to be successful in an urban school? Because he had become so concerned with the fact that he was white and suburban that he began to literally question the impact that he could have on the urban and the school he was looking at, heavily African-American and Hispanic school. And so for him, he was having a hard time managing both worlds. You will limit the impact that you have if you judge the cross-sections of spheres. The entire world has been built for your dominion. It has been built and you have access points to multiple worlds at the same time. The third way that the Bible instructs us 
to change the world is that you must resolve not to settle for minimal impact. There are entire schools of thought out there that say that this concept of changing the world is too big for one person to handle. And if theologians, preachers, Christians, believers can get you to believe, and I won't say understand, if they could convince you to believe that you are a minority, then you will settle for minimal impact. This sounds like I'm just one woman. I'm just one man. I'm just one person. I'm just one person that works here. I'm just one person in this family. I can't do this by myself. And so the world will try to convince you to make minimal impact because of the overwhelming task that it is to change the world. My problem with that is that's not the way that I was built. That's not the way that I was made. That's not the way that I was instructed. So it might seem overwhelming to some of you, but that's because you're not looking at the majority that lives on the inside of you. Because what they forgot was who lives inside of me. And so because of who lives inside of me, I am not just one woman. I am not just one person working there. I am not this person who is just in a family. But when I was born, I was born with the majority on my side. And so all alone, I stand as an army. I stand as a threat to the enemy all alone, all by myself. And then don't let me get into a community or a body of believers with the majority living on the inside of each and every one of us. Then it begins to build this idea. When we look at 1 John 15 and 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And if that's not heavy, I don't know what is. It's just a heavy gospel. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if it, seems, if it seems too heavy and that makes you want to go sit in a corner somewhere. But when I hear stuff like that, that makes me want to run. Like, that's that. So to some people, it's overwhelming. But that's what I talked about, right? Is that the way that you read the Bible will shape your lens of the world. So when you hear that if we've been born of God, we overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. If you focus on the broad sense of changing the world, then you'll settle for doing the bare minimum. You'll settle for just coming to church. You'll settle for just following him yourself. You'll settle for the fact that you don't do the sin that you used to do. Do not be so overwhelmed that you are stagnant. So paralyzed about changing the entire world that you do absolutely nothing. The chances are, when you think about it, when it comes to the kingdom of God, the chances are you could be doing more. If I think about it and I only look at the things that I'm actually doing in comparison to what I've been called to do, the chances are I could do more. Absolutely could do more than what I'm doing right now, but we minimize it. Why? Because changing the world is overwhelming. Don't let it be. There are people who have six kids. It's overwhelming to them. There are people who have two kids. It's overwhelming to them. It has nothing to do with the number of kids. It has to do with how you let it affect you. 
met a lady, she was working at Target. She was asking me about all the diapers I was buying. She wanted to know how many kids I had. I don't, I, I don't have, I just have one baby. I was trying to buy them on sale because if you buy $100 worth, then you get the $30 gift card. You know what I mean? <laughs> so now I buy 400 diapers at a time. Amen. Like one size, the big old box. They're going to get there somewhere. So I'm like, oh, no, just one. And she was like, oh, okay. I thought maybe you had a bunch of little ones at home. She said she was on her ninth. Oh, Lady, you're making my uterus hurt. I said, oh, okay. She said, yes, and we are so excited. And she's working at the Target. But it's how she allowed it to affect her. It can overwhelm you or it can empower you. You could wake up in the morning with the weight of the world on your shoulders or you could wake up in the morning on top of the world. There's two different ways that you can entreat the call that is on your life. The fourth way that the Bible tells us or instructs us to change the world is that you must start the conversation. It, it, it doesn't tell us to do it another way. When we look at Romans 10 and 14, it says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear? It didn't say without a pastor. It didn't say without an apostle. It didn't say without an ordained minister. It didn't say with someone who has learned all the scriptures of the Bible, like Byron and Greg. It says without someone preaching to them. As believers, we must learn to get over ourselves for the sake of somebody else. Everything that's standing in your way between you and sharing the gospel has to do with you. You convince yourself that you didn't explain it right. Nobody even told you that. You convince yourself that you didn't pray good enough. Nobody else told you that. You convince yourself that you don't know enough about the Bible. Nobody else told you that. You convince yourself that you hadn't been a believer long enough. You convince yourself that you missed church too many weeks. You convince yourself that you backslid too many times. You convince yourself that your past is too long. You convince yourself that you are less than. You convince yourself of that. God had nothing to do with that. But you would have to actually get over yourself. The best gospel message is the one that people actually give. You're trying to polish the gospel. You're trying to polish your story. But in the meantime, you're passing by people every single day. Imagine that if you walked into the grocery store, everybody that you walk by who is not a believer, who has not come into the knowledge of Christ, it's your responsibility. How many people did you pass by this morning? Did you stop for gas? Did you stop to get a bite? Did you stop at anywhere this morning before you got here? All of those people, it's on you. How 
how many people in your family are waiting on you to open your mouth? While you argue with yourself over a call that you already have. People make bigger decisions on what college to go to. You spend more time researching what college to go to and acting on it. How do you act on it? Because you put an application out there? You don't know you're going to get in there? It would be absolutely ludicrous for us to sit at home and think about which college we're going to go to and never actually put an application out. Oh, I'm just working on my personal statement. Oh, I'm just reviewing my grades, trying to get my GPA up. If you met somebody that did that for 10, 15, 20 years, you would be like, po thing. But we take more risks when it comes to our education than we do with just stepping out the boat on God. Would you just put an app out? Would you just say it? Would you just ask? Would you just put yourself out there? How many people, how many opportunities have you passed up to bring somebody into the knowledge of Christ? You have to start the conversation. This is practical ministry. You have to be nice. Start the conversation. You have to ask a question. Start the conversation. You have to listen to what they say. Start the conversation. You have to open your eyes and not be so selfish and focus on what you're trying to accomplish in the day. Start the conversation. That's how you change the world. I know you think you, you got to change the world when you actually make it and when you can hire people or when you can do this or when you can do that, but that's not actually not how you change the world. You can walk out of this day to day and just, and just change the world. The next person you meet, you're going to change the world. Why? Because you're changing their world. And then as you're a part of changing their world, then they're a part of changing somebody else's world. I used to say that I was an introvert. And I would say that Apostle was an extrovert. So to me, I just put stuff on him because he's an extrovert. Like, okay, well, you do it. You lead the conversation. We meet new people. All right, you jump in there. I'll jump in when I can because I'm the introvert. About two years ago, I decided to divorce everything about my personality that stood between me and my purpose. If the Bible instructs me to start the conversation, if the Bible instructs me to preach the gospel, if the Bible instructs me to go out and make disciples, I know that every time I claim introvert, I reject purpose. Every time I claim introvert, I reject leading somebody to Christ. Every time I claim introvert, I reject conversation. Every time I claim introvert, I make my world smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I decided there's nothing that I'm going to take on as part of my whole personality that is against the will and knowledge of God. God hasn't called me to close my mouth. God hasn't called me to think of people as strangers. He's called me to think of people as my brother, my sister, the people who I am called to, the people who I'm the gospel message for them in my mouth. So how can I declare that my personality is greater than his will?
The fifth way that the world, um, that the Bible instructs us to change the world is that you must live and die by the word. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you know that the Bible is actually the world's most widely distributed book? It also is the world's most banned book. Out of all the books have that, it, that have been banned everywhere in the world, the Bible is the most banned book. Why? Because even non-believers know the power of it. You get to read in this, and it tells you you've overcome the world. You're more than a conqueror. You're a winner. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not the, Like, if you actually read this, you'll wake up like Superman, Superwoman every single day. It wouldn't be no doubt in your mind if you actually read and believe the Bible. But people who actually don't even believe the Bible know the power of it. And so that's why they started taking it out of different places. That's why you can't declare it in certain places because they know what it'll do. Even if we sit in these seats and act like we don't. No more tips and tricks. We've tried to establish the kingdom of God by cool tips. We've tried to establish the kingdom of God by good advice. Every advice, every piece of advice that you give that is outside of the word of God is trash. You've self-helped people backwards. Instead of advancing them forwards. And it's because we haven't put the weight on the word of God. I'm happy you don't know what to say to them. Nobody cares what you have to say. I'm happy you feel nervous because you don't have the answer. That's a good place to start. Because the less you know, the more you'll lean on him. Because the less you know what to say. Just look up a scripture. You don't have it. Just look up a scripture. You don't even know what to pray. Look up a scripture. You don't know what to say today. Look up a scripture. You don't know the affirmation. Look up the scripture. Oh, I would have said something, but I just didn't know what to say. Find a scripture. Almost any of them will do. In most situations. You can just flip, flip, just flip on through. Get your little Bible app. Verse of the day almost always hits. I've been looking at a little Bible app. I'm like, oh, okay. Now that's a word for today. Why? Because the word is universal like that. It is so universal. But we've tried to convince people that God is good. There's no convincing them that God is good from you. There's no convincing them that they should turn their life around by just listening to you. I know you have a powerful testimony. That's great. Good for you. But your testimony is not greater than the word of God. We must change the world by declaring the word of the Lord. The downright gospel. 
It's the best good news. It's the only good news. It is the good news that every single person needs to hear. It is the basics of changing the world. How many like compliments? All right, little compliment. Hey, girl, you're looking cute. You're looking good. New cut, new color. Hey, new you. All right, going. We like all that. Oh, those are all the lady ones. You're looking buff, looking good. <laughs> Whatever y'all say to each other. I, do y'all compliment each other? I feel like we do it all the time. Do y'all compliment each other? Kind of, a little bit. Okay. No, it's a no. Okay. All right. Well, maybe from your, from, your, from your woman, that's good, right? Okay. All right. Everybody enjoys a good compliment. Think about how good the compliment makes you feel. The word can do a thousand times that. So if there's that much value in just a compliment or a kind word, think about how much more impactful the word of God actually is. The sixth way that we've been instructed to change the world is that you have to stand firm in your convictions. One of the most wasted wasted opportunities I've ever seen is a big name preacher who had the eyes of the world on him. And he was asked a very clear question. He was asked a very clear question and he avoided the question. Why? Because he refused to stand strong in his convictions. We've been so nervous to offend people that we are offending God. We've been so nervous to make people feel bad about themselves that Holy Spirit feels bad living, trying to live in you. So the same way you think that it would make people uncomfortable if you stayed at your convictions, that's how Holy Spirit feels living inside of you. Uncomfortable. When we read James 5.20, it says, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When you state your convictions, it's never about condemning people. And if you manage the intentions of your heart, you never have to worry about that. What you're doing when you state your convictions, what you're doing when you call people to the carpet who may be living in sin, you're actually covering them. You got to completely reshuffle the way that you're thinking about it. And so you don't want to offend them or make them uncomfortable, but you literally are sending them out into the pit of darkness. And you're saying, because I want you to feel comfortable, I'm just going to let you die. Because I don't want you to look at me funny or look at me sideways, or I don't want you to think I'm judging you. And so I'm like, I'll just let you live in hell. I'll just keep all this goodness to myself. Why? Because I don't want to make you feel bad. I just want to make you live bad. Yeah. There should be absolutely no hesitation when it comes to sharing our convictions. How do you feel about homosexuality? You should have a clear conviction. How do you feel about premarital sex? You should have a clear conviction. How do you feel about believing in multiple gods? You should have a clear conviction. How do you feel about adultery? Clear conviction. How do you feel about healing, miracles, deliverance? Clear conviction. But we hesitate. 
Hesitation comes from lack of security. If you hesitate to answer any of those questions, you're not secure. You see people, they're about to step out of something. Are you even stepping out of the little, uh, little ride at Disneyland? And people be like, going slow? Right, because they don't feel secure. It's trying to get their foot in. We do the same thing when it comes to our convictions in Christ. And you know the thing about hesitation is your hesitation, because of your own lack of security, it makes other people uncomfortable. When you waver in your convictions, it makes other people feel insecure. When you waver in your convictions, it makes other people question what they should actually believe because you're not even sure. So you would actually make a greater impact if you would just stand firm in what you believe. Because then they know that they can come back to you because you are on the rock. But a lot of times you're just as shaky as non-believers. So the way to change the world, to stand firm in your convictions, the seventh way to change the world is you must commit to always bring the light. Matthew 5 and 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father. Can't forget that part. Greatest problem in America is not the presence of darkness. It doesn't matter how much darkness there is. It matters how much light. This could be the darkest room in this entire building, the darkest room. And it actually, it does get pretty dark in here. But the way that you light up this room is not to be scared of the darkness. You just walk in the room and be like, oh my God, it's so dark. Oh, it's just dark. It's so dark. It's, it's just dark. It's darkness here and darkness in marriage and darkness in family and darkness in the president and, the, and darkness in the people who run it and darkness in our schools and, and darkness. Oh, okay, turn on the light. Like, it seems absolutely ridiculous to keep going around talking about darkness. Turn on the light. You are the light. Open your mouth. Open your eyes. Open your heart. You are the light. But you got to commit to bring the light no matter where you are. No matter where you are. It matters more who's bringing the light than who's bringing the darkness. Stop being surprised about sinners sinning. What? Like, it just doesn't even make sense. Like, we're holding people to a standard below the revelation that they have. Like, when dark people do dark things, that should not surprise you. But what should surprise them as the light that you bring? Who gets the glory for your light? Where have you built your city have you taken your light and put it under your desk because you didn't want to offend have you taken your light and turned your music down because you didn't want to offend have you taken your light and sat in rooms where conversations are going on and dimmed your light because see we've all been in the room where the conversation gets a little heated and you got to make that decision. Like, am I going to be her today? Am I going to be him today? Am I going to be, am I? Yeah, that's going to be me. I'm in there. I'm in there. I'm in there. And jump in. Every time you're in the presence of a compromising situation or the presence of darkness, never question your ability to be light. God, is this what you're calling me to? Yes. 
He's giving you a resounding yes, like right now. God, is this for me to step in? Yes. Yes, absolutely. If it's going down and you're present, yes, this is for you to step in. Yes, this conversation is for you to step in. Yes, this situation is for you to step in. Yes, 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 yes. It's not always the same way. But God has never called you to turn a blind eye to darkness. I don't care if he's asking you to link up, to intercede, to say something out loud, to follow up, to circle back. I don't know what it is, but he never is calling you to just turn a blind eye to darkness. The eighth way that you've been instructed to change the world is you are the advocate for generosity. The world is changed through generosity. That was modeled for us. Luke 3 and 11 says, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with somebody who has none. And anybody who has food should do the same. Funny thing about this is not talking about abundance. He didn't say if you have 10 shirts, share one. He's saying as long as you're not going to be naked, give a shirt. I don't care if you have to wash your same shirt every single day. If you have two, give one. It has nothing to do with you making it. It doesn't even have to do with all your needs being met. Two shirts is not all your needs being met. What he's instructing us is to give out of your lack. That's how you change the world. You got two pairs of shoes. Somebody doesn't have any pairs of shoes. Even though you're only wearing one right now, you know you got another one at the house. Take those off and give them away. You know how they name buildings at universities? Donors. The more money, the bigger the building. The more money, the bigger your name on the building. And if you give enough money, you get a little hallway up in that mug too. I said, listen, I'm trying to have my name on the building. I want to be on the bench and then put my name on the swing too. Like, put my name on the swing too. That's how much I'm trying to give. Why? Because that makes impact. When you are generous, that makes a big impact. You watch big commercials, big events, and things like that, they say thank you to our sponsors. They don't say thank you to our intercessors. And I'm not down in intercession. But what I'm telling you is generosity changes the world. They don't say thank you um, to everybody who believed in me at the end of the event. They say thank you to our sponsors. Amen. Here's your sponsor book. Why? Because generosity has a way of touching somebody's heart. There is no testimony against giving. There is no reason why Oprah and Ellen should be known as generous. And our pastors, our believers, are not. I'm trying to outgive people. Like literally outgive people. How can you make sure that your generosity tells a testimony? Appreciate him bringing you out of uh, drugs and addiction. Thank you. Now give. Give of what? Give of yourself. Whatever you have. 
That is what makes an impact. People tell stories all the time. Oh, they gave me this. They gave me that. They gave me this. They gave me that. That could be the open door to change the world around you. Ninth way. You must make sure you live a life that's worth others hating you. Some of us, we don't even live a life worth other people hating you. They don't know who you are. They don't, they, they don't know who you are. John 16 and 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we go back to our very first scripture, John 15 and 18, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. How much does the world love you? How much does a heathen adore you? How much do the people who are walking outside of Christ think you're their favorite person? It said, I I did not make this up. It said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So let that be a meter. This happened right before, um, we read John 16, 33, it happened right before Jesus was betrayed and crucified. How much would one look at your life and be like, dang, why did she wake up again? Why did he wake up again? Like hell should roll over when you pop up in the morning. Like, golly, why is she here at this job again? Why is she still talking to people? Why does he keep going in the break room and just sitting there the whole hour? Why does he keep starting conversations with people? Why do they keep asking me about my life? Why do they keep asking me about my family? Why do they keep asking me about my relationship with Christ? Hell should hate you. But for some of us, what we get accomplished in 24 hours makes hell happy. Every center you walk by, hell is rejoicing. Yeah. They didn't talk to the cashier again. Same cashier every single week. Yes, one point for hell. Yes, they refuse to talk to their coworkers. Too nervous, too busy reading their Bible. Hell's happy. Yes, another season of holidays, and they went to all those family gatherings, and nobody got saved. Hell is happy. Hell so happy. We live lives that make hell happy. Yes. They move their whole family in this neighborhood and nobody on the block has heard about me. Wait. God blessed you with a house. You moved into a neighborhood and made hell happy. They can call themselves homeowners. They didn't change anything. They can rejoice in church on Sunday. 
But so what? All those people are already, already, already lost all those people to heaven. So as long as they're loud in church and quiet when they leave, hell's happy. So you went to a surgery and you thanked the doctor, but you didn't publicly thank God. Hell's happy. Because then the emphasis is put on medicine. The emphasis is put on the doctor. The emphasis is put on the, everything natural that they did. But if you didn't walk out of there praising and believing God and winning the nurses to Christ while you went through treatment, hell is happy. You made hell happy. You got your car fixed. And you couldn't afford it, but then God came through at the last minute and you went and paid the bill and didn't say nothing? Hell's happy. Oh, you said you text the, the, the warriors that were praying with you? You said you text the people at your church? You said you text your pastor? Hell's happy. Hell's happy if you only tell your pastor how you got blessed. They already lost your pastor to heaven, so who cares? As long as you don't spread that testimony to other people, hell's happy. You have been called to change the world. How is your life demanding attention for his glory? Not seeking attention, but how is your life demanding attention for his glory? If you know that you're in this place and you could do more, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm standing, by the way. (laughs) I was like, I am standing. (laughs) God, we repent. Like we literally stand in your presence and we repent. We repent for having the light And not consistently being the light. We repent for settling. We repent for second guessing. We repent for missed opportunities. And we declare today. That because we lived another 24 hours. Hell will pay. We declare today. That our cities. Starting with our person and our personal families, we have committed to change the world. Say a personal prayer to the Lord right now. A personal prayer of repentance. A personal prayer of recommitting. It's okay if you're not used to talking to him. This is a safe place to talk to him. Just talk to him like it's a conversation. Everybody's doing it. It's not weird. Just do it. And we seal these prayers in your presence. God, this is a safe place. And we thank you for allowing us to grow. And now we take on the world as we've been called to do. In Jesus' name.